Good morning. Go ahead and grab your seats again. As Don mentioned a few weeks ago, it's, it's, it's just good to see the, the chatter and the conversation in the community during those times. Um, I've always appreciated that, and so it's, it's, it's good to see it back again. First time I've been up here in a while, so... Uh, well, welcome. Thank you again for joining us this morning. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. If you don't know me, I mainly work with uh, young adults as well as all things technology. So a lot of times I'm up there doing a lot of things that put on this production. Um, but yeah, so thank you for guys joining us this morning. We're so glad you guys can take time out of your schedule to join us here at Grace. And we hope that God is, is just at work this morning in your life in this process. Uh, Francis Chan in his book, Forgotten God said this, if I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. He went on to say, I believe that this missing something in church today is actually a missing someone, namely the Holy Spirit. Without him, people would operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any, any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. So oftentimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, we can have this little natural bit of uncomfortableness for a number of reasons. Uh, it can oftentimes be outside the norm of our experience of day-to-day living. And so we probably have all known someone who either has hyper-spiritualized everything and everything is God moving, or the other end just explained away everything in logic and has given no room for God to be on the move and the Spirit to be at work at the same time. And so I get the pleasure today of joining into this next section in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 12. It really it starts here and goes through chapter 14. So we'll be in this, this topic of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts for multiple next weeks. And really it's a continuation of the bigger section here talking about different issues about orderly worship in the Corinthian church. But I'm excited to dive in with you guys today, talk about the Holy Spirit and what God has for us there. And so my, in my opinion, I have found the Holy Spirit to often be either greatly abused, many times misunderstood, or often just forgotten about altogether, as Francis Chan talked about. So I hope God used our time this morning to bring some clarity and understanding, uh, but let's go ahead and dive in. So 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to read this whole passage, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let me pray. Jesus, we just thank you for our time together. 
We pray, Lord, you would speak through me, that you would, yeah, give me the words to say, that words from you would be quickly remembered, and words that are not from you would be quickly forgotten. We thank you, Lord, for how you've given us, give us instruction and leading in your word. At the same time, you've given us the Holy Spirit to guide us day by day, moment by moment. And we thank you for that, that gift. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you can see in this passage, there's lots to talk about the Holy Spirit. For us to understand this passage, though, we really need a basic understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And since it's really been a while as a church since we've talked about the Holy Spirit, I wanted to kind of take some time to kind of give a primer of who the Holy Spirit is. And so what I want to do today is really keep my outline really simple, hopefully make it easier to remember and easier to refer back to as we go through the next three chapters in 1 Corinthians. My three points today are who, what, and why. So nice and simple. So first there, who is the Holy Spirit? So first off, the Holy Spirit is God. You can trace the Holy Spirit back to the very beginning in Genesis 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish and sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So really that idea that you see there, us, our, our, talking about the Trinitarian nature of God, the triune God from the very beginning. Even from the beginning, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed and coexisted together. But I, I like how Jesus put it in John 14. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And the reason why I like this verse so much is that, that word another. Uh, in Greek, there's multiple things that are translated to our word another. But that word another, what it means in the Greek is another of the same kind. And so Jesus is saying another person like me will be with you forever. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Or in Acts 5, verse 4, in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, as they bring their gift to the temple and, and they lied about what they had to offer. And Peter declares in that moment that you're not just lying to, to him, but you're lying to God. I, I love when the Bible does that, little, pair, like little parentheses in the middle of sentences that give just profound truth. You have to almost pause and take a second and be like, wait, what did he just say? And he's sitting there saying that Holy Spirit is God, plain as day. So other characteristics of God we see in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to have a lot of verses listed here. I'm not going to read them all because it's going to take too much time. Feel free to jot them down in your notes and go back and look at them later. But I want to just hit a few different things about how the Holy Spirit is God in scriptures. And first off, he's holy in Romans 14, or not Romans 14, Romans 1, 4 and 5, 5. He's omnipotent. You see that in Zechariah 4, 6. He's omnipresent in Psalm 139, 7 and 8. He's omniscient in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. You see he's eternal in Hebrews 9, 14, and the verse we've read in John 14, 16. Or St. Basil put it this way, how can we even ponder what extends beyond the ages? What did he do before creation began? How great are the graces he showered on creation? What power will he wield in the ages to come? He existed, he pre-existed, he coexisted with the Father and Son before the ages. Even if you can imagine anything beyond the ages, you will discover that the Spirit is even further beyond. So as you see from this multitude of verses, you see just evidence after evidence 
of how the Holy Spirit is God. You see the characteristics of God lived out in the Holy Spirit. But not only is the Holy Spirit God, the Holy Spirit is a person. And obviously I don't mean he's a physical human being, but he has the elements of personhood. He has intellect and agency and emotion and will. He has relationship with believers. He said in John 14, 17, 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 14. He has emotions. You see that in Ephesians 4.30, Isaiah 63.10, Romans 15.30. The Holy Spirit is grieved, Ephesians 4.30 there. You do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. We can grieve the Holy Spirit through choosing our own selfish sin rather than God. We can grieve the Holy Spirit through our actions. The Holy Spirit has agency. In other words, he has his own ability to make his own decisions. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says, these things that God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So the Spirit is at work constantly searching everything, even searching God, the Father. He has his own will in that process. So the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit is a person. Now how does the Holy Spirit work? So again, I have a number of different points here. I'm going to kind of lift out some verses and kind of talk about different ways the Holy Spirit is used in our lives. In Romans 8, 26 and 27, it talks about the Holy Spirit praying on our behalf, even we don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit if we know Jesus. Set in Ezekiel 36 and 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Timothy 1 and Romans 8. It's such a wonderful promise that God's given us that he lives within us and will be with us always and forever throughout the ages. And as soon as we come to know Jesus, as soon as we accept what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf, the Holy Spirit is indwelling within us. The Spirit is our deposit for heaven, Ephesians 1. The Holy Spirit works in unison with the Father and Son. They're not working three different ways, doing different things. They're working in unison together for the purposes of God. He said in John 16 and 1 Peter 1, the Holy Spirit teaches us and reminds us of truth. In Psalm 143, in Acts 9, Acts 13, Acts 15, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 John 5, Titus 2, you see it again and again and again, the Holy Spirit actively working in our lives, continually pointing us to Jesus, reminding us of truth, and, re- and pointing us to the glory of God. The Holy Spirit speaks for us at times when we don't know what to say. Mark 13 and Luke 12 are both examples of that. The Spirit empowers our witness. You see that in Acts 1 and Ephesians 3. The Spirit convicts us of sin. You see it in John 16 and 1 Thessalonians 1. And the Spirit is our sanctifier which means really that Jesus, or the Spirit just makes us live more like Jesus. He makes us more like Jesus over the long term of our lives. And the Spirit gives us gifts and abilities for the glory of God. You'll see it in our passage today in 1 Corinthians 12. You'll see it in Romans 12. You'll see it in 1 Peter 4 and Ephesians 4. The list could go on, but I think you see the point. The, the, the list of the things the Holy Spirit does in our lives is innumerable. He's constantly at work. He is God residing within us and working through us on a day-to-day basis. What a privilege it is we so often miss. Charles Spurgeon summed it up well in this way. He said, Every growth of spiritual life from the first tender shoot until now has been the work of the Holy Spirit. The only way to more life is the Holy Spirit. You will not even know that you want more unless you work, you, he works in you to desire it. The Spirit of God must come and must make the letter alive. Transfer it to your heart set it on fire, make it burn within you, or else this divine force and majesty will be hid from your eyes. 
Speaking of reading scripture, prayer is the creation of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do prayer, we cannot pray without the Holy Spirit. You see from the very beginning of our lives, the very beginning of walking with Jesus, the Spirit is at work. The Spirit is the one that gives us the desire to want to know God and the ability to know God, the desire to want to live out our faith and the ability to live it out as well. So there's not really much I can add to what Spurgeon said. But even in my own story, I, I can see countless times of the Spirit at work and guiding my steps, both in small, in conversations with individuals, or large, in direction of my life. I am very confident that I would not be here today with you guys if it were not for the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding in that process. So now we have a basic understanding of who the Spirit is. And if you missed any of that stuff, it's going to be on the slideshow will be on the website, so feel free to grab that later. Just look under the sermons tab, it's, it's there. So that's our idea of who. Next is what. So what is happening in this passage, and what is Paul really saying to the Corinthians? So let's revisit the text for today again. I'm going to read it one more time here. First, I'm going to grab a drink of water because, yeah, you know. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the spirit of God. No one that is speaking in the spirit of God ever says, "Jesus is a curse," and no one can say, "Jesus is Lord," except the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit; varieties of service, but the same Lord; there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom; to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit; to another faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, the prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, what's taking place here? Really, Paul laid out his purpose back in verse 1. He says, I underlined it. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So he clearly has been brought in maybe the letter from the Corinthians to him, confusion about this idea of spiritual gifts, just like there was confusion about communion we saw last week. And so he wants you to be informed regarding spiritual gifts. So that begs the question, what are spiritual gifts? And so one of the commentaries I read had this definition. I thought it was very, it was detailed but good. It said, a spiritual gift is a ministry of the Holy Spirit a ministry that the Holy Spirit distributes to and empowers in an individual Christian for the common good. Let me, let me repeat that. A spiritual gift is a ministry the Holy Spirit distributes to and empowers in an individual Christian for the common good. So we'll see that as we pick up multiple verses in this thread. You see that come in again and again. And so Paul is really desiring to bring clarity and understanding about how the Holy Spirit works in spiritual gifts, specifically in this case in the order of worship in the Corinthian church. And he knows the Corinthian church, as we talked about many times in this series, the Corinthian church came out of a city that is, is very religious. There's no less that they've found so far rubble of at least seven different temples in Corinth to Greek gods like Aphrodite, Athena, Apollo, Demeter, Kor, uh, Hera, Poseidon, uh, don't even know how to say that one, Asclepius, uh, and one to the Pantheon, which is all the gods. And they took as they became believers, they took these pagan rituals, pagan lifestyles, pagan religious way 
into their faith with Jesus. And you see that throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul is continually calling them out for different ways that they are blending their old pagan lifestyle with this new faith in Christ. You see this picture of them dividing in, in over things like communion. You see, he talks about earlier in Corinthians, talks about the idea of homosexuality and different other uh, sexual sin in that area. And what Paul is doing here in verses 1 through 3 is really giving some basic criteria for distinguishing the work of the Holy Spirit from other gods. Verse 2, it's really believed he's speaking to the fact that those gods, all those gods in Corinth that they prayed to, they were all mute. They didn't talk back. And yet here in the Christian faith, you have a living God who's living and active and speaks to you and lives in you in that process. In verse 3, he's saying that spirit will speak to the same truths laid forth by Jesus. He won't contradict he won't blaspheme God in that process. And so it's one of the key areas of the Holy Spirit is he doesn't, like I said before, he works in unison with the Father and Son. He doesn't contradict what's already been said forth before. And so last week, Brennan spoke about how the Corinthian church had turned communion into a way to create divisions in the church. And it turned it into an issue about status over the Lord's Supper. And now it appears they've done the same with spiritual gifts. They've, they've, you see this in verses 4 through 6. There's varieties of gifts, same spirit. Varieties of service, same Lord. Varieties of activities, but same God who empowers them all and everyone. You'll see as we go through this passage, this picture that different gifts are, are talked about and different gifts are valued. And, and really what it shows is that they had been valuing certain gifts over others. Maybe the flashier ones that are more seen, ones that are seen and became, became a status symbol of this is what really matters. This gift is the important one. And Paul kind of puts it out the side by saying, no, there's, there's tons of different gifts but it's all one God. It's all one spirit. And it's interesting what you note there in that thing. It says, same spirit, same Lord, same God. What he's doing is he's couching this idea of varieties of gifts, but yet unity in the Trinity, in the triune nature of God. How they have different roles, and yet it's all same God, same purpose. And so after verses 1 through 3 establish criteria for how to distinguish Holy Spirit versus other gods. And then verses 4 to 6, which is grounding the diversity of gifts within the triune Godhead. The theme of diversity and yet unity continues through this whole passage. As I'm sure you heard when I read that passage twice now, another, same, another, same. It's, it's going again and again and again in that picture. And so let's pick it up in verse 8 here. It says, For one is given to the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, their interpretation of tongues. All these empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. Diversity and yet unity. Unity and yet not uniformity. Different people given different gifts, all by one Spirit. So no one receives all the gifts, and no one receives no gifts. Each one of us has been apportioned through the Spirit's will to have different gifts of the Spirit. The problem appears, as I've said before, that they've taken this idea of diversity of gifts and turned it into marginalizing their fellow believers based on which gifts they had. So I'm not going to get into all the different types of spiritual gifts one of the things you'll, you'll note in this passage is that there's a handful of gifts here, but, but it is not an exhaustive list by any means. 
There's another list in 1 Peter 4 that has different ones, and, and still there's more that have, and Romans, that has different ones there, and none of them are really exhaustive. They all speak to really categories of types of gifts, um, but none of them are designed to be exhaustive by the, the authors. And so what I, I do want to say here, though, is something going on, you, you don't let's say see in the English. I mentioned before the idea of another and how there's different words that translate to another. So in our English language, just it's another, 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 another. But actually, there's different words that mean different things in this another. All the ones highlighted there in blue is the Greek word um, alos, which means, like I said before, with, with Jesus and the Spirit, different of the same kind. But those ones I highlighted in green there, it means different of a different kind, another of a different kind. And so it's this picture, and it's, that the word is there is heteros, which means different of a different kind. So in, in the next few verses, you see after that first one of another, so it's linking wisdom and knowledge. And then he's saying a different, different category, another by faith, and then another of healing, another of working, another of miracles, prophecy, all things that link together. Then it goes back another again, a different kind, two tongues, and then interpretation linking that with that one. So you see this back and forth, back and forth, A, B, A type of uh, symmetry through that thing. And you see this picture of really different categories that Paul is breaking down, but by no means meant to be an exhaustive list in that process. And notice the last one he mentioned was tongues and interpretation of tongues. So more than likely, that was probably the one the Corinthians valued above others. And we're saying this is the one that we all want to shoot for. And they turned to the thing, if somebody had it, then awesome, they're, they're to be praised. And somebody who didn't have it, they'd be marginalized within their own community. And so when we look at this list, it's really easy to look at the Corinthians and yet again be like, man, those Corinthians, they had a messed up church. But then you think about that, that's those topics of diversity of gifts and causing divisions over it. You can't help but think about some of our modern day realities. Think about worlds of... Um, really, some of the hyper-charismatic churches versus other churches of varying gifts versus the cessationist-type beliefs. And it really breaks down into two big categories in our modern-day reality. It's, it's cessationist and continuationist. And so I want to break this down a little bit because really it's the, the words are somewhat self-explanatory, but I want to explain them. So cessationists, really the camp there means that the gifts have ceased. Cessation. And yet the other one is continuation, gifts continue. There's really two big major beliefs in our current reality today is that gifts either continue or the gifts stopped. And that said, I think there's a whole topic that I think we could dive into a little bit. But really, I like to think about this idea of, of really like you're driving down a dirt road in the country and there's those giant like drainage ditch on either side to where either side you go, you can fall into pitfalls that really kind of can curb you and shipwreck your faith in that process. And so on the one hand, the pitfalls of cessationists, really you're, you're living in this mindset that God, Holy Spirit, doesn't work in the same way as it did. doesn't provide gifts, doesn't provide ways that really you're limiting God and how he could work. If God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, isn't he able to do things that don't necessarily explain in our brain? Another side, another shipwreck side, another side, if you go into continuationists and go down the road, it, it very easily, you can make it to where the gifts are, are so important and they're, they're so valuable that it means more than the word in front of us.
And oftentimes, again, I mean, there's errors that I've seen in the, in the continuationist world. One of the, some of the more extreme ones are things like, you have to be able to speak in tongues, otherwise you're not saved. And that's clearly not what Scripture's saying. We just read that in 1 Corinthians 12 and other places. Not everybody has that gift. And so if we're falling into that pitfall of, we, this has to be so true, we're really going against what gospel, the gospel's all about and what the gospel says. Or maybe even taking prophecy to supersede Scripture. I've seen that happen as well. You, you just have this idea like, oh, God's put this in my head, it must be right. So for example, I'm going to pick on some high school boys real quick. So high school boys, it's not a good idea to walk up to a girl and say, God told me we're going to get married even though you don't know her. That's just creepy. Don't do that. <laughs> and so thus we live in this middle between two ditches on either side. We want to exist where we don't put God in a box. He can still do the miraculous. But at the same time, It's knowing that prophecy, gifts like prophecy and tongues aren't inerrant. Spiritual gifts, it doesn't say they're inerrant. It doesn't say they're infallible. And so be able to take those and, and test them against Scripture. Be able to take them back to Scripture and say, does this fall in line with what God has already said? Because Scripture should confirm what the Holy Spirit's doing. So we'll get into a lot more of that over the coming weeks in 1 Corinthians. We'll hit that in, in uh, I think, 14. That's where we'll hit that a little bit. And so as I mentioned, when you look at this chapter... Do note, this is not an exhaustive list by any means. There are different places where spiritual gifts are listed, like I said, in Romans 12, 1 Peter 4. But those two lists are different, and they are not exhaustive. And it really brings me to my end of my first, second point there of, of what, or no, yeah, what, yeah, that's right. Sorry. Uh, it brings to the second point of what that God can work in a variety of ways. And, and you look at this passage of 1 Corinthians, you see this picture where the, the, the Corinthians had taken this and really had twisted it and abused it in a way around spiritual gifts to really create division in the church. That's never what the design is. The Spirit is designed to, to work supernaturally in us, yes, to provide for the glory of God and bring further unity. One of the things you see throughout 1 Corinthians is these different divisions they've caused. The plea from Paul is that unity in the midst of it all and that really brings my third point. Why? So why is this important? So we know who the Holy Spirit is. We know what he's doing here and how he works. And then the question is why? Why is this verse is important? Let's so look at two verses here. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12. Six will pop up the next slide, but that's okay. I wrote it anyway. So 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then verse 11, All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So diversity of gifts is for the common good of the church. It's not designed to provide division. Diversity and yet unity. Unity and not uniformity. If the church of God, for the, if the church's God is to fulfill his, our purposes that God's designed for us, we each have a unique part to play in that process. And, and Greg will get more into that next week, so I don't want to dive too much into that because I don't want to steal his thunder in that process. But if it's designed for the common good, each of us will play a different part in that process. We won't all look the same. But a couple other application points to note here. 
Number one, where have we fallen into similar traps as the Corinthians? Where have we taken preferences and caused disunity because of it? Where have we prone to value the working of some gifts over others? But also a note that oftentimes we think of spiritual gifts, I think especially as we're younger and we don't dive into this too much, it's really easy for us to think, I think especially in the world today, to miss the fact that we have spiritual gifts at all. It's hard to believe that anything good can come from us at times. It's easy to see the bad. It's easy to see the hard. It's not as easy to see the good things God has done and gifted us with. And so I want to be very clear in that process because as we look at things like social media around us, it's easy to see how others are really good and we don't match up. But I want to be clear. That the, it's very clear in the scriptures. We each have been given gifts. They look different but they are all have the same value and inherent worth to the purposes of God in that process. So know, even when you can't see it, God is at work. God is providing things to you, and he is providing gifts to you in that process for the common good of the church. You are valuable enough. You were valuable enough to God for God to die for. And so you better believe that you're valuable enough that God has given us a down payment of the Holy Spirit already, and he's given us gifts that, because the Spirit doesn't come empty-handed. You're valuable enough to die for. He's already given you a Spirit. He doesn't come empty-handed. And some of you may have some of those miraculous gifts that are listed here, and others may not. Maybe, maybe you have a gift like serving, behind-the-scenes things that don't get recognition necessarily, or administration, or leadership, or music, There's a diversity of gifts. And again, diversity, but unity. Unity and not uniformity. And so one of the things that obviously you look at this passage, we see a variety of gifts here, and I mentioned others in other passages. We want to give you guys additional context to kind of explore more and understand where have you been gifted and how you've done so. And so there's actually a couple of things we're doing over the coming weeks um, obviously, we're talking about this passage from here to 14, and we'll talk about the Holy Spirit for multiple weeks in the sermons. Uh, our grace table in November, next one's on grief, but November, we're doing a panel on spiritual gifts and talking about some of those different things. And then as well, we're in the process of working on a essentially Sunday l- luncheon type after church one day, just giving you an opportunity to kind of walk through more of gifts and understand what they mean, understand what they are, and maybe some ways to explore and understand how to understand what gifts you've been given. And as well, if you're newer here, our belong class is a great chance for this as well. Uh, we, we take one of the sessions and, and walk through a number of different beliefs of the church, including things like spiritual gifts. And so we do talk a lot about, about that there. We'd love to see you there and engage with you about that there as well. So if, you, if not too late to sign up, it starts this Thursday. Uh, we're going to go for the next four weeks, and we'd love to see you there if you've been attending here and want to know more about what we're all about as a church. Uh, belong is no, by no means a commitment to join the church. It's, it's understanding and exploring what we're all about and then giving you the chance to decide from there. So not too late, scan your QR code in the bulletin or the, or the website right there is easy to access, gracecommunity.org slash weekly. There's a link there to sign up or indicate interest at least. So you have this picture that each of us have been given gifts and, and part of our, I think our goal is, as believers would be to explore that and understand that. What gifts have God given you? 
and how can you use them for the common good of the church? And then third application point here is that though all believers are indwelt with the Spirit, not all believers are directed and empowered by the Spirit day by day, moment by moment. Paul uses the term filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18 it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So it's a command. It seems like it's not necessarily something that happens naturally. It's a, it's a we have to be filled with the Spirit in that process. And so um, I got a chance a couple of years ago to meet with a handful of athletes at Towson uh, as I was working on staff with crew there. And, and one of the guys I met with, I met with almost weekly for a year and a half in that process. And when we came to this topic of the Holy Spirit and we're talking about this verse, I was asking him if he had, if he had been to many parties on campus. And being a college athlete, um, oftentimes teams would do things together. And so he oftentimes would go along with his uh, teammates, not necessarily to partake, but just to be there to support his teammates. And it's, it's his friend group. And so he had been to a number of parties over the years. And um, I asked him what he observed at the parties. And he talked about this idea of do not get drunk with wine. And he talked about how he saw as he was there friend after friend that would have too much to drink. And it no longer would be them in control, but it would be the alcohol in control. They'd be yielding control to another substance, in this case, alcohol, and they wouldn't be living how they normally would live. And I think as he was talking about that, this verse clicked for both him and I in a way that it hadn't before. Because being filled with the Spirit is yielding control to another substance that's outside of us in the Spirit. It's yielding control day by day, moment to moment. Say, all right, God, what would you do how would you lead? How would you guide in this situation? And just like coming to faith in Jesus the first point, by faith we're trusting his grace, by faith we're trusting his gift. It's the same way with the filling of the Spirit. It's, it's by grace saying, God, I, I want you to lead my life day by day, moment by moment, and trusting that it's so. So living there in the filling of the Spirit is where you'll find that abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10.10. 10. It's living yielded outside of our own control. Say, God, you have your way and your will in this process. And it is an ongoing, moment-by-moment trusting him because the moment we turn and choose our own way and we put ourselves back in that uh, control seat, we've, we've taken the spirit out of that control seat. we put ourselves back there. And so it's, again, turning back like, all right, God, yep, I screwed up again. Let me back in line with you and you lead again. So I've referenced it already, but one of my favorite books on the subject of the Holy Spirit is Forgotten God by Francis Chan. Great resource. Pick it up. It's good. But I want to read an illustration he wrote in here because I, I couldn't say any better. It's going to take a minute to read through this, but I think it's so good. But while I'm doing that, go ahead and worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. And he said this, Imagine I buy a treadmill to lose some weight. Three months later, I take it back to the store and complain to the clerk that it didn't work. I didn't lose a pound. He asks me, what's the problem? Did it not work properly? I respond, I don't know if it works. I never ran on it. I just know I didn't lose any weight, and so I'm done with it. That may seem like a silly example, but change the details, and suddenly it becomes sounds very, very familiar. I've prayed for the Holy Spirit to free me from my lust, and I'm still addicted to pornography. Or I've, I've prayed for years to be able to forgive my dad, and I'm still racked with anger and bitterness 30 years down the road. I've prayed for years to be free of my gluttony, but despite prayer, Spiritually-based support groups and, and dieting, I'm still a compulsive, unhealthy eater. Fill in whatever sin plagues you, and suddenly the treadmill illustration doesn't seem so silly after all. 
In fact, it seems like those prayers for freedom, that ongoing sin didn't really work in much the same way the treadmill didn't help me lose any weight. Receiving freedom and healing and answer to prayer is generally not something that is done to you, a situation in which you are just a passive participant. Occasionally, God works this way and simply heals or frees a person outright. He's certainly capable of this, but in my experience, he typically asks us to play an active role in our journey towards wholeness. He doesn't need to help us, he doesn't need our help, but invites us to participate. Often this journey to freedom takes time, sometimes a very long time, and it takes perseverance, it takes participation on our part. We have to get in the treadmill and run. Really looking at the workout machine doesn't do a whole lot. And I think we're oftentimes prone to do that with the Holy Spirit, just to expect him to zap something in our lives. But oftentimes it takes hard work and perseverance and diligence in walking day by day, moment by moment with the Spirit, trusting him as we make those good decisions each and every day, that he's in the process of working in our lives in that process. So my big idea simply is this. The Holy Spirit is living and active in and through you for the good of the church. The Holy Spirit is living and active in and through you for the good of the church. So here, here at Grace, we've, we really want to have a growing and measured understanding of the Holy Spirit at work in our church and in our lives. It's only through the guiding of the Holy Spirit, the yielding of control to him, that we're able to conquer sin we're able to discover the way God has gifted each of us. And we're able to experience how God would desire to use us for the common good. We each have a part to play, which Greg will go into more next week. So will you hand over control day by day, moment by moment, to do what he would want you to do? To say what he wants you to, would want you to say. To give what he wants you to give and go where he wants you to go. We have access to the almighty God living inside of us, desiring us to live yielded to him. If we have access to that kind of power within us, wouldn't we want more of that each and every day? Let's stand and, and worship together as we remember God in this process.